Hello and welcome to 31 Days of Terror, day number 11. And I have one story for you today and that story comes from Amelia. I accept that there are things in our world that we cannot explain, no matter how hard we try. But also I would challenge anyone to go through what I have been through and not at least question the existence of the paranormal. My experiences and belief in the paranormal are not things that I would normally discuss outside of my immediate family, because I am aware of how outlandish and downright crazy my experiences sound. As a long-time listener of the podcast, I thought if there was any group of people out there who would believe me and appreciate my experiences, it would be the RLGS community. My family has a long tradition of paranormal experiences, but to keep this succinct, I will only talk about the experiences of my paternal grandfather, who we called Poppy, and my own. Poppy was born and bred in a small village in the English county of Norfolk. The unusual name of this village is still our surname, so I will not disclose it explicitly. He was a remarkable man, and all those who knew him would remember him as being an unfalteringly kind, gentle and calm man. A family man his entire life. Family was the most important thing to him. He had a way of putting those around him at ease, just by being in his company. A cuddle from him could make you feel lighter than air, and he was always happy to listen if you just needed to vent. Screaming babies would be put into his arms and be instantly soothed, and scared or distressed animals would come to him without needing to be coaxed or called. He was truly selfless, and as my sister would say, He wouldn't sell his soul to the devil. He would give it over willingly if the devil truly needed it. I believe he was most likely an empath, or at least had empath tendencies, as he could always tell when someone needed him and would often take on the feelings and emotions of those around him. When I first started having my paranormal experiences, he was the only person I wanted to tell, and, no surprise, he already knew that I needed him. This description doesn't do justice to this amazing man. My whole life, as long as I can remember, there have been things that I have no right knowing, that I just know. I have seen and felt things that others don't. For example, I insisted on having my sixth birthday party in the basement because my friends can't come into any other room in the house. I was able to give my family accurate details of my great-uncle's death in World War I, when I was eight years old, because he had told me. I can walk into empty places and be bombarded with whispers. Sometimes I can understand what they are saying, but often it's unintelligible and so loud I cannot focus on the voice of the person standing next to me. It's like being in a busy place, like a shopping centre or a football game, full of people all talking at the same time. It is even more frustrating when these voices are clear, but not in English. For the record, while I don't speak any other language, many years living overseas means I can identify certain languages. Other times it's not what I see or hear but what I feel. Feelings of dread, happiness, sadness, anxiety and anger that have no obvious reason. These feelings wash over me in an instant and can disappear just as quickly. Poppy was often able to feel the things that I could sometimes see, hear or feel. My first story is one example of this crossover in our experiences. We moved into the house my parents still live in when I was five years old. 
We had only been living there about a week when Poppy came over for the first time. My memories of this event are hazy being so young, but my mother can describe this day in minute detail. She says that once Poppy crossed the front door, his movement noticeably slowed. His shoulders hunched and he became very pale. He grabbed onto the wall to steady himself, and with the help of my father and older brothers, he struggled onto the lounge. He told us that there was a sadness in the home that made his heart ache and brought a tear to his eye. According to Mum, the look on my father and brother's faces confirmed that they had been having the same feeling in the weeks since moving in. Overhearing this conversation while I sat on the floor playing my Game Boy, my casual response was, It's probably because of the darkness that wanders the house when everyone is sleeping. I've seen it. While my parents looked shocked by my revelations, Poppy looked cool, calm and collected. He then stood up and said out loud to no one in particular, and at a volume much louder than his usual relaxed tone. Darkness, you are not welcome in this house. If you need help, come to me instead and I will do what I can. By the time we were going to bed that evening, the mood in the house had lightened. It lightened so much that even my mother felt it, and she is about as in tune with the paranormal as a cheese sandwich. Her words. Poppy wasn't able to drive the darkness away permanently, but he did make me less scared of it. Whenever I would see him, he would tell me that love drives away darkness like the sunrise lights the day. And as long as I remember how much love is in our family, the darkness cannot touch us. It became our little mantra. After experiencing the darkness semi-regularly in my childhood and even in my adult life, it has never interacted directly with me or any of my family. It also doesn't seem to be a harbinger or bringer of anything. It's just a feature of my parents' house. To try and describe it, think of the Dementors from Harry Potter. This is pretty close to the way it makes me feel, but what I see is not a cloaked, non-being figure. It's like a shadow that starts in the corner of a room and slowly expands and then comes away from the walls and floors to become a mass, like melting but in reverse. It isn't shaped typically like a human, but rather just a dark mass with no obvious features. It then glides through the house, eventually melting back into the shadows in various places. Just for clarity and for the sceptics out there, I've never been asleep when this happens, so it's not a dream or sleep paralysis. I have never been paralysed when the darkness appears, therefore I don't feel it's a sleep anomaly. I have experienced the darkness both at night and during the day. I have also been medically cleared of any type of mental illnesses that are associated with hallucinations of any kind. It always makes me feel super cold, making me shiver and my teeth chatter. The sadness that hits me is so strong that my mood changes and a tear comes to my eye. Similar to how Poppy described feeling that day. Four years after the first discussion of the darkness, Poppy passed away from what was believed to be sudden cardiac death. This is death caused by spontaneous loss of heart function. Although it was sudden, I had known it was coming. I had seen him just the day before. I remember as he went to leave, I suddenly felt like someone had punched me in the chest. I gave him the biggest cuddle that my nine-year-old arms could muster. 
He squeezed me tighter in response and to lighten my suddenly somber mood made the comment that the hug was so big that I'll be able to feel that cuddle when I'm in my grave. Following this comment I became inconsolable for the next few hours after Poppy went home. Although I knew I would never see him again, I didn't want to tell my family in case I jinxed the situation. However that night when the rest of the house was sleeping, the most amazing man I've ever known passed away. I wish he'd come to visit to say goodbye, but alas, no such luck. I will always treasure that one last hug, and I'm so glad that I listened to my instincts and held on to him so tightly. When these thoughts, feelings or images pop into my head, I can't tell you how or where they come from. As previously mentioned, from a young age I had established a relationship with my great-uncle even though he was dead long before I was born. My paternal grandparents, Poppy and Nanny, and my maternal grandparents, Grandma and Grandpa, were all childhood friends. When Poppy told Grandpa they were emigrating to Australia, they decided to all come together, along with my grandma's brother, i.e. my great-uncle. Now, just to be clear, my great-uncle was dead long before my mother was born, so neither she nor I ever met him. I also don't recall hearing my family speak of him, and yet I know things about him. I was maybe 12 when our family visited the World War I war memorial that bears his name. As my grandma went on to tell us about her favourite brother James, I stopped her and said, Don't you mean Breakjaw Ben? This was enough to stop her in her tracks. She stared at me, her eyes wide, filling with tears and her mouth open. Once her shock had passed, she nodded her head and pointed to his name on the memorial plaque. She explained that his name had been James, but after they moved to Australia, a lot of his Aussie mates liked to joke about him being a Londoner. Although they were not from London, it was simply the country way of acknowledging his British accent. They had fondly nicknamed him Ben after Big Ben. She then went on to explain that he always had been a tough guy with a bit of a temper. On more than one occasion when facing a difficult situation, his temper would get the better of him, and he would speak with his fists when push came to shove. This reputation as a tough guy was the reason for the break jaw part of his nickname, Break Jaw Ben. As we listened to her explanation of the nickname, I laughed out loud and said, he always hated that nickname because no one could see past it. After my revelations about the great uncle I had never met, my grandma asked me to tell her what else I knew about him as her memories were very sparse. I told her that he was one of the first in his country town to enlist during World War I, As much as he loved his family, he wanted his chance to live up to the tough guy reputation he had built up and thought joining the army would be a way to put his toughness to good use. Essentially buying into the World War I recruitment bullshit, that hegemonic masculinity saw war as the ultimate test of manliness. This attitude and belief in his own toughness had sustained him through basic training all the way to the trenches of the Western Front but the near-constant fighting and the deplorable conditions took their toll on his body, mind and soul. It was only the idea of protecting those he loved back home that kept him going. By this stage, Grandma was in tears as she remembered him signing off his letters home with, Everything I do is to keep my family safe. He was killed on the Western Front, but the specific location is something that even I don't know. The plaque that lists his name is for soldiers missing in action, What I have never told anyone was that while I do not know exactly where he was killed, 
I do know what his final moments were like. When it came to his end, he was afraid and alone, lying in the mud with a bullet in his chest, gasping for breath, praying to a God that he didn't believe in, not for himself, but for his family. I am haunted by this image and it breaks my heart to think of him this way. However, I also know that he is still around and is absolutely delighted seeing his family and the respect we still have for his sacrifice. This respect for military has always been an important part of our family, as all the men and some of the women have all served in some branch of the military all the way back to my great-great-grandparents. Personally, I'm a huge history fan, and especially military history. With the things that I know about my great-uncle, I recently decided to do some research and see what I could find in the National Archives of Australia. There is a free database that allows you to search the open defence and war service records of Australian Defence Forces. I recommend that if anyone is interested to give it a Google. The only official records I found were related to his enlistment, his military record and the notice that he was missing in action. Nothing related to his death. Another thing I came across in my search was a picture of his platoon just after basic training finished. Although there were nearly 50 men in the picture, I knew his face instantly. He was one of the tallest guys in the photo and instantly I knew that his nickname hadn't only been because he was believed to be a Londoner, it was also because of his height. When I showed this picture to my grandma, I hadn't told her I knew which one he was. After looking at it, she pointed out the same tall man I had picked and said that she was pretty sure it was him. I understand it could all seem very circumstantial, especially as I was asking my grandma to recall long-ago faces and memories, but I know we were right. Just knowing things occurs on a regular basis, but very rarely are they actually useful. For example, I knew my sister was pregnant before she did. I knew the way from my mother's first home to the school she attended, and I had a horrible feeling when my best friend complained of a headache that it was so much more than that. These things I know, see and feel seem to have no reason behind them, but are just a part of me. There's only one instance where I've actively wished I was different. In 2009, my partner and childhood sweetheart had completed his second deployment in Afghanistan, and I couldn't be more excited to have him back home in my arms. We had been planning his homecoming for the last six months. We were also getting ready to move into our newly built dream home just a week after he was due back in Sydney. On his way home, he was making a stopover in Berlin for a few days with his parents who were holidaying there. Two days into his visit, and with the time difference between Sydney and Berlin, I was just in the middle of dinner with my family, when I suddenly got a splitting headache and felt like I couldn't breathe. To me, it felt like there was suddenly a huge weight on my chest crushing me, and according to my mother, I went instantly pale and was gasping for air and I fainted, falling off my chair. When I came to, I knew that my partner wasn't part of our world anymore. I started to cry inconsolably and searched frantically for my phone to call him. There was no answer, but I kept trying for the next few hours. Exactly four hours later and nearly 50 calls to his mobile, his mother called me. She told me that he had been crossing the road in the city when a drunk driver sped through the red light and struck him. She was understandably distraught but told me they would take care of everything to bring him home and I just needed to take care of myself. What she didn't know was that I already knew the details of his death that she was trying to shield from me. After being struck by the drunk driver's car, he had been forced into the path of moving traffic and was crushed. 
but it was the first car hitting him that killed him. From the other side of the world, I felt the moment my soulmate left this world. The pain that came with it was crushing, and in the weeks and months that passed, I felt like I was drowning in my own sorrow. About four months after his funeral, I was living in our dream home. It was both torture and comforting to be living in the house that we had designed together. On this random Tuesday, where I was feeling particularly low, I remember walking past the sliding glass door to the backyard. Suddenly the sun came out from behind a cloud and sunshine poured onto me and the spot I was standing in. Simultaneously I was hit with an overwhelming whiff of his cologne which I loved. The sunshine and the smell filled me with the warm lightness that spread through my body. I truly believe in my soul that this was a sign from him. He was comforting me in my hour of need and letting me know that he was okay, wherever it is that we go after we die. I still live in this house now, and whenever I'm feeling down, more often than not, I will smell his cologne and I know he's still looking out for me. I have a mass of other stories which I'm sure I will send in another time, but this is already a bit long, and thinking about the loss of Poppy and my husband has made me a bit weepy. I hope this has been easy to follow and doesn't sound like ramblings. I know these stories aren't the scariest stories that have been read on this podcast, but the reality for me is that the paranormal isn't always scary. These experiences can make me feel more alive than anything else, and I wouldn't be who I am today without them. Your grandfather sounds like a wonderful, wonderful man. He sounds like just a joy to have been around, to be honest. And I'm sorry that his death brought you so much pain and suffering. You two obviously shared some sort of empathic ability you know linked to the people that you love that you could feel things they were going through you could connect with people who had long passed and in a way I guess for the people who have long passed like your uncle who or great uncle rather who died in the war like maybe for him he has the knowing that you know what happened to him that you've seen what happened to him maybe in wherever he is in the afterlife he knows that there is somebody in his family line who saw him praying for his family in his moments of death. And I'm also sorry for the loss of your partner that you had to experience his death in your own way on the other side of the world. And I'm glad that he has found a way to make himself known to you and that that has brought you comfort. Thank you so much to Amelia for sending in your story. If you'd like to send in your own story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for more content, you can subscribe to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad free. And on that note, I shall see you tomorrow.